This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, are no interest rate hikes a good thing after no interest rate hike this week? Dominic Lapointe, Director of Macro Strategy for Manual Life Investment Management, gives us an update on Canada's economy, inflation, housing, and will there be more hikes? Maybe, but I don't know about you, I felt great to me. So we'll get the expert's opinion here on the podcast too. What is your best first? First dates, first jobs, for concerts, so much more. And are you okay with Metallica? What about going on adventures? All of this and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. We saw this week, the government's not going to spend more of our money to save their problems. Uh, That's my attitude toward it. I'm getting a little tired of the government being reckless and spending, 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 and then saying, by the way, you need to pay this off. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like being a parent and having kids, right? As a parent, if you were to give your kids your debit card and say, here's my PIN number, have a great day, you might disagree with some of the purchases they make. They might just go reckless and say, it's unlimited. It's not my money. I'm starting to get the feeling that that's what's going on in government. And the reason why I say that is because it was Pierre Polyev even who said to me specifically on this show that it's the only job in the world where you celebrate how much money you can spend. There's no accountability to it, but how much you can spend. And by the way, it's not even your money. That's incredible. Inflation. Here we are. No interest rates going up. So joining us is one of our favorites to talk about this. Dominic Lapointe is here, uh, macro strategist for Manulife, back from vacation, refreshed (laughs) and ready to go. Dominic, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. So here we are. Um, No interest rate hikes this week. We've got lots to talk about. You've been away. We haven't spoken in a few months. So, but let's start with that. No interest rate hikes this week. They They alluded to the fact that they were going to, premiers and stuff started to speak out about it. Makes you wonder if it became more of a political um, issue than anything. But um, no hikes this week, good or bad? I think it's a good thing. And I'm not saying that because all the premiers uh, came out asking for it. I think uh, at, at, in our team, when we looked at where, where the economy was going this year to us, there was always be um, uh, some weakness coming because uh, it takes time. But at some point, higher interest rates uh, start to bite. And we can talk about all the underlying dynamics of the consumer and household debt and everything. But what we witness uh, relative to the July decision at the Bank of Canada, when last time they actually raised uh, their policy rate to 5%, uh, is some significant weakening, right? So in the past... Two of the three months, we've had net employment losses in this country, which is not something we uh, commonly have. It's rare that this occurs. Um, We did see uh, last week that the gross domestic product for the second quarter actually shrank, which is also something we rarely see. And at the same time, uh, inflation has started to move in the right direction. It's still too high, but it moved in the right direction. So putting myself into uh, Bank of Canada's shoes, it did make sense to leave rates there, uh, see how things evolve in the second half of this year as we go to the fall and the winter. Uh, and hopefully, um, the labor situation will not deteriorate too much. 
uh, but monitor this. But at this point, we thought that uh, rates were already high enough. Now, understanding that it takes time, that's why I've learned here on the show that when they start raising interest rates like this, some people say six months to 18 months before it really starts mm. to have an effect. What that says to me, though, is that it's kind of like, um, you know, a, a drip in a faucet, you know, or a coffee pot in that these little adjustments cause these sort of drip effects of people essentially running out of money. And um, we need to, as consumers and citizens of this country, need to feel like we're going broke so we stop spending money. We've got to feel the squeeze somewhere. So again, my personal opinion, we get punished for it, uh, for their, their policy decisions. That's where this whole voting thing becomes really important. But is that really what it boils down to, Dominic, is that Canadians need to get stressed enough financially where we start changing our habits? Um. I think when the moment where where people really get stretched financially, uh, uh, there's there's two cases, right? There's one where you you were already uh, before all of this, you were already on a tight rope, and then these rates increase, are just get, making things worse. So for many people, that that's the situation, and and, and obviously uh, this hurts. But for other uh, for other people, it's when you actually have to roll over some some type of debt. So uh, only uh, a small fraction of all mortgages, for instance, has been renewed so far um, at higher rates. And, and that that's when you really start to see uh, this coming down to. And, and I think you, you, to your point about uh, having to uh, take the bill for, for past policy mistakes or, or, or for some spending, uh, inflation was also caused by, and I think I've said that last time we spoke, it was also caused by a lot of supply chain issues where we had, we had to acknowledge that the Bank of Canada doesn't really control those. And fortunately, these have come down uh, quite significantly. So that inflation on those uh, on those fronts actually improved. But but you're right. We are like consumer have to pay a higher price for some uh, for a lot of inflation categories that if you think about food, if you think about energy, no one controls that and you actually have to consume it. Uh, there's no way around. And so, uh, unfortunately, that that's a uh, negative and direct effect of supply chain constraints and other problems we've had. Yeah, I, I did make it sound too black and white simple. The one thing that we as a country can control is the amount of people that come to our country. And let me just declare as I say this, that I'm a big fan of that Canada is a jambalaya of cultures from around the world. That's my favorite part of this country. And um, But at the same time, we can control how many people come to this country and we can control how many students come to this country. If you take the um, the foreign student numbers and you take the immigrant numbers and the fact that the government has been accelerating immigrant numbers, you take the number of new houses being built, um, you start to see a, a discrepancy of, you know, like 10% of the amount of new homes versus the amount of people that are coming yeah. to into this country, right? Um, that's a rough number, but it's pretty darn close. And you, and that's only immigration. That's not new babies. That's not anything like that, right? So we do control that. Uh, we, well, there's a, there are different government of Canada policies for immigration, you are right. Um, and, and, and yeah, it does... Um, 
So immigrants coming in, um, for most of them, what we notice is that they do fill vacant positions. So there's mm -hmm. this positive elements where so we good for need, jobs and stuff, right? Yes, we need people working into many industries that we've had labor shortages for a while, and that those got worse during the pandemic. The problem is that in this country, for the past, I will say, 30 years, we haven't really increased the pace at which we build housing, and but we've increase the pace at which we welcome people. So it's not fair for new people coming in that have no real good options to get decent housing. Uh, and I think there's a discrepancy between these two policies where we need these people filling these position jobs, um, educating our children, working in healthcare and other areas. But at the same time, we're not providing the infrastructure for them to be housed uh, um, um, appropriately. And I think there's there's a reckoning right now because the situation is just getting worse uh, because the number of new people coming in is uh, increasing faster. And now governments, it's not only the federal governments, but also provincial governments and municipal governments trying to play catch up but it's it's a very difficult situation where you're you're dealing with a 30 year backlog in housing. So okay, this is a very big question, but Dominic's the guy who's going to be able to help me find an answer in this question. So from what you just said, you know, like the housing costs are up, it's expensive. There's no doubt about it. There's more people coming in than there are new homes being built and and that is a thing. So Canada's heavily invested in real estate as a nation. I mean, retirement most people's retirement is somehow invested in real estate. I mean, I think that's a fair ball. Is that fair ball? Like yeah. We're heavily invested in real estate. Other countries like America heavily invest not so much in real estate, but in business. And in business, when, when governments are, are ensuring that businesses can be created and succeed, it grows the economy, it grows jobs, it, it grows all things and all aspects of it. We don't, as Canadians, invest in business the same way we do in real estate. And you can see sort of the crossroads of now immigrants coming in um, and not to mention and students, foreign students coming to take up so many more houses. A great way to cover up your failings in investing in economic growth is to force it. And you force it with more people. They buy more groceries. They need a place to live, right? So you bring in more, more people into the population, kind of masks economic growth a little bit because it's, there's just more people. So of course it's growing. So how do we go from a, a, a country? Well, what do you see here, first of all? And mm -hmm. can we even flip that switch? Because I feel like we're using our MasterCard to pay our visa in real estate and population right now. And I feel like that there are other countries in the world that develop business and economic growth in order to bring in people and grow the economy. And I feel like we're, we're sort of hiding behind a bit of a mask of using debt to pay debt. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, there's a lot in your question. I'll there's just say there. first. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of invested in real estate for people that are fortunately in the real estate market that actually have the opportunity to own a home. Uh, there's an increasing amount of people that actually just choose to rent because they just, just cannot be invested into it. But for, for those people that actually do home, uh, their home, yes, uh, there's a lot invested into it. And that's a different situation than in the U.S. But I'll, I'll, uh, to be fair, there's, there was also a big um, contraction into the U.S., an unprecedented contraction into the U.S. market in 2009. The U.S. housing market had its own trouble before. Well, we didn't have the same sort of issues. Yeah. And it was by... ugly. It's fair enough to say that yes. the U.S. trouble was as ugly as it gets. Yes. And we're not 
the Canadian housing market is not built on the same, I'd say, financial imbalances with subprime mortgages and financial derivatives that the U.S. mortgage market's worth uh, more than a decade ago. Um, but to your to your second point about um, fueling growth with more uh, people coming in, I think one way of seeing it, and that's something that comes back regularly in the news, is that uh, productivity in this country is has been declining for, I'll say, all of the post-COVID recovery. Um, so we are producing less per the amount of hours that we work. And that's something that is very different from the U.S. And in the U.S., what actually happened after COVID is that population growth slowed a lot. Like it's actually one of the lowest population growth that they've had since the 60s. While for us, it's quite the opposite. So businesses there, I, I have a feeling that they've had to adapt to the fact that their labor input was not coming in as, as fast as in this country that we've had. So the, the incentive for businesses to invest is not the same when you can actually fill more of those vacant positions. And, and again, I don't want to say that it's a bad thing that people that we have more people. These are positions that we need, but businesses don't feel the same incentives. Um, I'll, I'll take a positive, uh, just a positive note, saying that one exception would be the tech industry in this country. Uh, we're creating a, we're creating a lot of businesses uh, around the Toronto Waterloo corridor. There's there's some industries where we do some innovation, and we're actually growing faster with some measurement than than in the U.S. But but in general, it is an it is an issue that um, businesses don't invest enough into their productive capacity and rely more. And that that's what we noticed post COVID. And we rely more simply having more people. The look at business is always an interesting one because most of us don't understand it. Most of us go in and we work as employees. You work as an employee. I yeah. work as an employee. Now, you and I, our jobs are very similar in that our job is to observe what's going on around us, right? So regardless of who we work for, it's always a bit of a crossroads, isn't it? When you have to get paid to go into a position to observe what's going on around you and you may not agree or find that it's efficient or you may think it's wonderful. In business, though, uh, manufacturing and production in Canada, I think we learned the lessons about some of it in the past. Um, the hot and cold of things like softwood lumber, you know, that was tough. Dairy is still tough as that's a conversation internationally. That's still a thing. And then we get into the basic manufacturing like cars. Yeah. I think Ontario knows best when it comes to how hot and cold that world was. And it wasn't great, but it did provide a lot of really good jobs for people. Then we see today a push to, hey, we need to be able to manufacture more, but it seems to be in these really giant uh, deals and the government offering such incredible incentives that it's, it, it's almost not, doesn't even seem like it's lucrative for Canada, more political. Uh -huh. I mean, these plants that are there, I mean, th these new plants that are come battery plants, whatever Volkswagen's deal, those are massive deals. Is that kind of stuff going to really help, though? Because I think we've learned those lessons of the past, and we seem more deeply invested than ever before. Yeah, so I, I think the government is in a tough spot regarding the future of, of let's say, we take um, motor vehicle manufacturing, uh, as, as you pointed out, because 
we know that for for the most part at some point the future will be electric cars uh because of the need to decarbonize and at some point will drive a little less on on fuel and so you're actually looking at your neighbors to the south with the inflation reduction act massively subsidizing all of those industries whether it's the minerals the inputs and also the the factories and they also have the tax advantage down there so it's hard to blame both levels of government either it's the provincial governments trying to make deals with the manufacturer and the federal government to try to get those um those fact those ev factories uh built in the issue is that is that going to work to actually develop this Canadian uh, electric vehicle or, or, or battery industry and make it sustainable? That's the big question because, again, we're competing against the Europeans. We'll be competing against the United States. And I can't play the government for trying to play that game because we know at some point it will be the future. But it's a tough position to be in. It's not clear. I don't have an answer to your question, actually. It's not clear that if you project yourself 20, 30 years out, we'll be able to to win that race. Well, I'll point out that just as the final talking point is that this country has all of the critical minerals to produce the batteries. So if you think about lithium, copper, uh, we have those. So that's where maybe the, go- the governments can focus. That's a competitive advantage that we have. We have the, the, the resources, the commodities to actually build up. Uh, are the factories going to be the future? That's where I'm not sure. Yeah. And that's a tough one. I mean, lessons of the past too with oil and gas that not only do we have the resources for petroleum products, and I don't even mean as fuel, but I mean as petroleum products for all of the world's increasing use of petroleum for plastics and all the other things that come with parts, but the refining of those products gets shipped out and then brought back in again, right? Like it's a very incomplete process. So what do you see here, Dominic, when we look at the scope of things, we've talked about housing, we've talked about inflation, we've talked about interest rates, general business overlook. Uh, What's the biggest in your eyes thing that we need to be very aware of in the next four months before the end of the year? And what's one thing that you're mostly excited about, about where we're going? Because I want to keep it balanced. So let's do one of each. Yeah, so I'm looking at how I think there, there's a narrative out there, and that's something that the Bank of Canada also told us to do. The government, uh, uh, sorry, the governor did uh, delivered a speech in in Calgary actually, and it told us that they were looking for what we call a soft landing, where by some form we're not going to see any pickup, meaningful pickup into on the unemployment rate in this country. Inflation will continue to slowly go down. And that at some point, they're going to be able to lower interest rates like later down the line. But in, in, in other words, they're not going to be any um, a lot of pain. And that, that's where we are worried about because we've raised interest rates so much. And we now see some signs that cracks are opening. And how are they going to react to those cracks? Are they going to react fast enough? let's say that we do face a situation where we do see a little more widespread uh, hours work being reduced or in some industries such as construction, more layoffs, uh, are they going to react quick enough to avoid um, unnecessary pain? That's what uh, our eyes are on uh, because 
what we know is that inflation, if they're only looking at the total inflation, unlikely to go back to 2% early next year or even at the end of next year because we mentioned energy, they don't control it, food, they don't control it. Um, so how are they going to react to that? And are, can they manage to lend the economy um, um, positively? That's where uh, I'm looking for. The, on a more positive side, uh, well, I'll say is that inflation, now I'll, I'll speak about inflation. We look at the components of inflation and the one that are that they can actually control where you look at spending on durable goods, furniture, electronics, appliances, uh, travel. Uh, these things have come down a little bit and they've moved in the right direction. So I'm sort of positive that um, at least on what they can control, prices are finally showing some sign of moderation. It's good news. Dominic Lapointe is here, that's for sure. And the one thing that I feel like as um, the guy who is sort of a guardian of the Canadian opinion at nighttime, I feel like that um, when you say that they're trying to do it with as little pain or no pain as possible, um, there's a lot of people that have shared that they really got a lot of pain in the finances because of food, because of energy, because of all those bits and pieces. And I think the, the spillover effect from even the cost of groceries, people's eyes are open wide when they go, you know, the cost of meat, for example. Mm. Um, it's, uh, it's a very scary notion. And I think that part, as um, subjective as it is, seems to be very true that many people are seem to be hurting a lot more than than gets represented in some of these speeches i think that part matters that definitely and and you you know that the governor mclem actually um did recognize today that uh they don't control commodity prices as in the fact that if they, they can raise interest rate as much as they want but if we get another get another war we get other natural disasters that um creates problem with our crops with the way we can ship energy, um, inflation is going to go up again. And you're actually hurting people on the other side by raising rates for some part of inflation that you don't control. And I think it's a positive thing that uh, the Bank of Canada seems to be recognizing that element uh, in their last decision. Yeah. Well, let's hope it. Uh, let's hope we do get a soft landing. I think that's positive, and let's hope that we get at least a correction to ease the pain here, um, because there's a lot of Canadians that are hurting. And as a guy yes. who just came from the grocery store, I feel like I'm feeling it too. So it's a thing. <laughs> Great to see you. Thanks for uh, thanks for being here and coming back to join us. Thank you, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. Thank you to Olga. Olga posted a, a piece on, it's just a meme on the Facebook group that um, that I found particularly cool. I found it important. I found it to be awesome. And we read it the other day here on The Shift. In fact, we went through and, you know, spent a little time talking about this, uh, the things that we should be grateful for, things that only happen once in a while. And these are incredibly important things. It happened once. The general idea of what Olga's post was, was along the lines of you get 12 or 13 first days of school, right? You get a couple of first, um, uh, no, sorry, what was it? 10 or 12 uh, visits from the tooth fairy, 
12 or 13 visits from Santa Claus, all of these different things that are our firsts. And we, how present would we be to all of the things that we go through in our lives if we stayed and paid attention to them? I read that, thought it was great. And then it occurred to me, wait a second, what are all the firsts? And how do they land differently for everybody? Because everything that we, everything that we sort of talk about, about my first this and my first that, it lands differently. And this is where I think it gets kind of exciting when you talk about what is your best first, what comes to mind with your best firsts. And I, uh, I don't know where, where it goes. So uh, Ryan O'Donnell's here. He's uh, in downtown Calgary. John O'Chung is here. And we are uh, very different through our generation of age. So our, our firsts are very different. I've had many firsts that Ryan and Jono have not had. I, I've had my first house. I remember when I got the keys to my first house, but I also remember when I got the keys to my first rental apartment and I moved out on my own. There are so many cool firsts that are there. 877-399-9898. Ben O'Hara Byrne, I think, said it best before we even came on the show because he brought up one of his firsts, which was one of his first records. One of his favorite best firsts was one of his first records, which was uh, Freak, uh, Le Freak, Chic Le Freak. <laughs> um, I always get backwards. And... That's what he came to, and he gave it good advice. And Ben O'Hara Byrne from Little More Conversation said, you have to really sit and think about it. You have to be with it and say, okay, well, wait a second. What are my, my favorite my favorite firsts? First day of school is one that so many kids have been through. Now, let's just talk about it quickly before we dig more into this. I want to hear yours, 877-399-9898. Ryan O'Donnell, what came up for you as your best first to start anyway? Hmm. To start, it, it's really split, but the one I keep going back to is my first job. I really loved my first job, which was working at EB Games, which is now GameStop. It was a really awesome way to learn how retail works, how customer service works, uh, how to have conversations with people that share interests with you. That was probably the most useful thing I took out of that. Uh, and uh, also just kind of the joys of uh, complaining about customers and uh, celebrating the good ones. It was a really awesome first job that uh, I am very grateful for the experience and uh, time I had there, which was a very long time. It creates perspective. One of the ones for me that the first thing that actually came up for me, there was three of them. And um, one was, the first one came up was being out, uh, going to a movie with a girl. And mm. I've never been like in my life first move guy. Like I never was like never, ever, ever. But it led me to, okay, there's four. Um, they're closely related to my very first time again, a movie and, and making that move to hold hands. Now, I know that that sounds silly, at least it feels no. silly to say it, but I remember that moment where I was kind of moving my hand closer. You know what a movie theory do you like the stretch, put the arm around. It was kind of trying to move my hand closer and get the hand closer and then grab the hand. But then when there's a squeeze, that's that moment. That's that first. Never forget that feeling. Fast forward that. Fast forward that to just a few years ago when I remap Melanie. 
Melanie and I had been chatting. Um, she was in Ottawa and we hadn't met in person yet. And on um, the very first moment, um, we had said together when I was going to arrive was uh, sort of like, I'm going to run across the parking lot and jump in your arms and kiss you. She said, and I'm like, I said to her, I said, I'm going to kiss you when I see you, which was bold for a guy like me. And, um, rather prudish, I suppose. And I said that. So when I got there, she froze and didn't run across the parking lot. And I, in my mind, I'm going, uh oh, uh oh, I was like, nope, you said you were going to do it. And I did it, walked up to her and I kissed her. And so when you think back to how I, that's what occurred to me was that first of the holding hands when I was just a teenager to that moment and how far I'd come. It took me 30 years <laughs> or so to get there, <laughs> but you got there, but I got there. And so, but that's how firsts land so incredibly different. I also remember the first time someone stole from me. It was a, um, oh. yeah, it was a, po- a poison cassette that we were doing a thing at school, like a lip sync contest. And I had a cassette. No, excuse me. It was Motley Crue theater of pain. And, um, and someone stole that cassette from that day at school. And I was like, how could somebody take it? I also went to the movie theater once and had someone steal a wheel off my car. <laughs> Um, they left the lug nuts though. That was nice. So someone needed a tire, I guess. They took mine. And again, I was like, how do you, how could you just take that without asking? So those are firsts that happened for me. Situational things that happened. Jono, was there one first for you that has come up that what your best first was or at least most profound? Yeah, I think the most profound first for me would probably be running this show on my own mm. because this show is the first show that I technical produced without the guidance of anyone in the room. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember the first, which was with uh, Brendan Kelly, BK, DJ BK at the side telling me, Oh, but can you push that button? Oh, remember the timing, yeah. remember this. And yeah. you probably remember the first days. And if our shift heads know, there was some a- times of dead air when I was panicking because I was like, Oh yeah. no, am yeah, I supposed to play the song? <laughs> in your defense, it was, it was, it's a busy, there's lots going on too, right? Yeah. It's, it, this is a heavy, this is a heavy, busy show for someone to do for the first time too, to give you full credit so everyone yeah. understands the context. Yeah. See, that's cool. That's really cool. To, I, it's, as your teammate here, it's cool to hear that, first of all. Uh, but it's also cool to be a part of that. So what is your best first, right? They're so different. You know, talk about jobs for me. What's the, the first thing about a job that was always the most stressful was walking into the lunchroom. I one was always the first time walking in the lunchroom. I remember that feeling in my belly. 877-399-9898. What are your best firsts that you remember? What comes to mind? Um, my best first, Southern Ontario. It's from Bryce, 1969 Mustang. See, my first car was a rotten oil Toyota truck, all rusty box, 600 bucks. Um, my best first... It's from Derek. Was the day I graduated from the dish pit to the line in the kitchen. It's fueled my passion for cooking, although I don't cook professionally anymore. See, but you remember that. So I'd, I'd be curious, is the best part the cooking or the acknowledgement that comes with that? See, that's this is where the I love the psychology of it and watching it. This is cool. Um, what are your best first? 877-399-9898. While in Australia eating Vegemite for the first time, driving on the opposite side of the road for the first time, <laughs> both were an adventure. See, it goes so many different ways. What are some other ones, Ryan? There's like, 
the typical ones, probably first kiss. Oh yeah. My first kiss, it wasn't bad at all, but it was <laughs> probably ask the I, other person and see if it was bad or not. <laughs> no, I don't think no. I think she would agree it was pretty it was pretty all right. It was at summer camp, my favorite place on the planet. Still is my favorite place. And uh yeah, I had a crush on the girl. <laughs> I had a crush on this girl and uh nobody had ever really liked me when I was a kid. I was not like I didn't think I was attractive. My self-esteem was more like I was bold and I was like unafraid to like have fun and do silly things, not like I'm so good looking. People want to kiss me. Never had that uh, confidence ever. And then I remember Samantha was like all in on it. She thought it was awesome. And I was like, really? Are you are you sure? And <laughs> yeah, sure? I first kiss happened in the quad at Centauri. And my camp counselor had to pull me aside and t- say, hey, Ryan, that's great. Just you please don't do that when all of when everybody's around. Please don't do that. Uh, so <laughs> it's not a makeup. Yeah, camp, Brian. It. Yep, it was not a makeup count. But then she, and then, yeah, that was that was the first kiss. And it was it was. It was like a whole new uh, awakening of self-worth in me. Like it completely mm-hmm. changed and gave me like an ego boost I had never had in my life before. Wow. So it was a good first um, My yeah. most profound first time, Trucker Dan says, is when I passed the Calgary sign for the first time. I wasn't sure about employment, but I knew it was the beginning of a new life. See, that's a big one. Cool. I just yeah. um, dropped off an item that I was selling here out of the house, and this guy asked if I could drop it off at his place, so I did. And and uh, I said, you, you need some help bringing it upstairs? He's like, yeah, no problem. Uh, that'd be great. He said, I can get my wife, but she's pregnant. <laughs> I was like, no, we're not going to ask your wife to carry stuff upstairs, thanks. And um, how long, as far along is she, a conversation? And she, uh, he said, just a couple of weeks away. So I said, are you ready to become a dad? And he's like, yeah, I think so. You know, he did all the right things that dads say before the baby comes, which is, you know, we've got the stroller, we've got this, we've got that. And um, I said, can I give you some unsolicited advice? And this is where the first, I realized that I still, even though I have kids, um, I didn't think of my kids as my best first, kind of. So I said to him, I said, the first night that you have a baby at home, is the most terrifying night of your life because you kind of get home and you're like, Oh my God, like I'm now, this is, I'm in the charge of making sure this little beast doesn't die. Like that's your whole job now. And so that first night of being a dad at home is a terrifying night. You feel helpless and out of control and it is, it is just a terrible feeling, but you know, everything, you're going to be great and everything's going to be fine. And he said, thank you very much for telling that. No one has told me that. For me with my kids, though, it wasn't that my kids were born or when they were born. It was when my parents came to meet them. And I was so excited for the first time that my parents met my son as being my firstborn, right? So it's neat where it goes and where you take it. What are your best firsts? There's a lot of them, but there's only a handful that come to mind. 877-399-9898. Uh, my best first after three weeks of intense airborne trailing training, making my first static line jump out of a C-130 at Fort Benning, Georgia. Whew, I wonder how high that was. I mean, that would be a leap of faith, literally. What is, oh, texts are pouring now. It's going to be hard to, um, 
hard to follow. Um, what is your best first? My first hangover. Vowed to never drink again. That didn't last long, Jordy. <laughs> I remember mine. Yeah. You remember your first hangover? I remember my uh, first hangover. Yeah. I remember my first real drunk night. Barbarian cooler. Yeah. Uh, grade 10. Uh, a slight case of murder was the name of the play, and it was the cast oh party. And I didn't know how to drink. And my friend Adam was like, Ryan, don't mix rum and Sprite. That will be disgusting. And he was right. <laughs> mm. Mine was Barbarian Cooler. We were camping. I was so sick. I couldn't get out of bed the next day. Like, I was like, we need to pack up the yeah. tent and leave. And I couldn't even get off the ground. It was so bad. You know what's um, funny about those nights? I remember coming home and my mom's asking me. She said, did you drink? And I said, yes. And she goes, I'm glad you told me. Whenever you do this, just tell me. I need to make sure you get home safe. And that moment there set mm-hmm. the expectation for all of high school and it kept me yep. safe. First time. Oh, yeah. that's, that's what parents really want for the most part. They don't want, you don't want yeah. you drinking, but they realize what's going on. They just want to know so they could be um, prepared. Okay. Um, Ron says the kids are in bed now. This is more suited <laughs> to Maureen's, I guess. Maureen's show on the weekend, the health show. Ron said, uh, first kiss, front porch, uh, one and a half hours, all lips. Amazing. One and a half hours of kissing. That's a, that's a heck of a first kiss there, big fella. Well done. What is your best first? 877-399-9898. Running my first 5K. I remember that. Doesn't come up for me though as anything priority. Um, I remember how out of shape I felt. <laughs> Cause I don't even think I ran the whole thing. I love this. Oh, man, it's fascinating. What are your best firsts? 877-399-9898. First Hot Wheel I got in a Happy Meal in 1982. Um, I have many first kiss, uh, many first like other people, first kiss, first time driving by myself. That's a big one. First job. The first in my life was seeing my children being born. Um, and Lynn in Coquitlam says... It's Lynn. <laughs> Hi, Lynn. I said that part already. This first time I helped deliver a baby. So amazing. See? This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? Okay, you can share your thoughts on these, 877-399-9898, and let us know all these stories that make you ponder. Are you okay with Talica? Talica? Yeah. The real rockers call it Talica. Me and my friends call it Metal Ica sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talica. Are you uh, are you in on the Talica? Uh, I've seen them twice. I caught mm-hmm. a pick in the pit when I saw them in Edmonton. Well, that's talented. Uh, I have a incredibly rare Metallica uh, Ride the Lightning misprint in green. I love Metallica. The first mm. four albums after and Justice for All. I can't do it. I don't really like the radio Metallica, and I the new stuff's not terrible, but like. The first four thrash metal albums, woof! It yeah, that's that's where it's at. All right, now Jono, um, we need to set the scene here a little bit, if you don't mind. Yes. Metallia, Metallia, 
If only I had a spell checker. Man, how much does Metallica are the gods of thrash metal? They rank up one of the most commercially successful bands of all time, having sold more than 125 million albums worldwide as of 2018. Pretty huge. That sometimes attracts fans that aren't even human. Like a dog from Los Angeles. You may have seen on social media a post about a dog that was allegedly abandoned at the Metallica concert at SoFi last weekend. Well, as usual, there is more to the story. This German Shepherd wasn't abandoned. She just likes rock. After a few days of outrage over some dog owner leaving their pup at SoFi, Metallica posted this today saying, despite reports to the contrary, our friend Storm snuck out of her home adjacent to SoFi Stadium and made her way to the gig all by herself. After a full night taking in the show with her Metallica family, Storm was safely reunited with her actual family the next day. Metallica also posted, you definitely shouldn't bring your furry friends to the hashtag M72 world tour, but this dog sure did have her day. Aw, yeah, I like I'm that. I'm incredibly eh? jealous that that dog got to see Metallica on this tour, but I can't. I'm mm-hmm. so jealous. ABC6, for that story, the band seemingly delighted by the interspecies fan base said the storm enjoyed that storm enjoyed the show with her Talica family uh, before she had to go back home. So um, they also couldn't re- resist a few puns, saying Storm had a great time listening to her favorite songs, including Bark Eterna, Bark Eterna, Bark Eterna, Master yeah. of Puppies, and the Mailman That's- That Never Comes. Master of Puppies is the best of all those, by the way. Master of Puppies is really good. Yeah. Uh, let's go for our next Are You Okay completely out of context and just start here. Here, Mr. Bilbo, where are you off to? Stop, I'm already late. Late for what? I'm going on an adventure. Are you okay with adventures? I want to go on an adventure. All the only adventures I see are in movies and TV and video games. And sure, that's fun. But I want to actually, okay, I did something very nerdy that's almost an adventure. I downloaded an app that tracks your steps to see how long it would take you to walk from the Shire to Mordor, like in Lord of the Rings. And currently the app has me getting there in July of 2028. So I have more steps to go. And a much uh, more involved adventure ahead of me. So I want to get there. All right. Uh, that's that's quite the adventure you're on. That's for sure. It's quite the walk, too. A man from a very special place attempted to go on a very stupid journey last month. That man tried to get from one side of the world to another on a hamster wheel. Hmm. He's from a special place, though. Florida. What does it mean to be from Florida? <laughs> Florida. Straight drill. <laughs> okay. This Florida man story is one that you may never forget. In fact, since on a, a night of uh, best firsts, this could be one of the first that we've heard like this. 
The Coast Guard reportedly arresting a man off Tybee Island for trying to cross the Atlantic Ocean in a human hamster wheel. According to the Coast Guard, 51-year-old Reza Bellucci was detained 17 nautical miles off Tybee's coast after a three-day standoff with them last Friday. Bellucci allegedly threatening to take his own life if anyone tried to arrest him and that he had a, said he had a bomb on board. Authorities say after two days, he admitted there was no bomb. Everything about that's weird. That's WSAV3 mm-hmm. News, by the way. Bellucci has allegedly attempted voyages in similar vessel on three other occasions, 2014, 16, and 2021, all of which were shut down by the USCG Coast Guard. He now faces federal charges of obstructing uh, obstruction of a boarding and violation of a captain of a port order. Now, you have to understand, imagine a hamster wheel. Okay, in your mind, a hamster running on a hamster wheel. Pretty simple. Now, imagine that hamster wheel has a bunch of floaties on it, kind of like a paddle wheel boat paddle. And then him running inside on the ocean, floating, trying to get across the ocean. That's what happened. I I wonder what Cyril would think of that. Our buddy who's kayaks from paddling yeah. across the Pacific. I wonder how he, you know, if he would, you know, consider maybe swapping the kayak for some hamsters. Hmm. I don't know. I, that's a good question. We should bring that up. He's going to come on the show again here soon. Cause he's going to paddle across the Atlantic too. So, all right. Okay. Shift heads. Are you okay with food fights? That's a waste of food, gotta tell you. Not cool. It's, it is. It is. I've never been in a food fight. I prefer nerf fights, water balloon fights. Water fights, yeah. D- dodgeball. I would say water fights are the best kind of like play fight you can have. Okay. A food fight you'd think would be kind of small. You know, like someone puts like a pie in the face, that kind of thing. Cafeteria. Yeah. It can be a cataclysm of. Uh, tasty violence, though, as proven in Spain. 15,000 people, including many tourists, pasted each other with tomatoes Wednesday on Spate's annual Timotina street battle took place in the eastern town of Buño. So picture this. 15,000 people. That's like an NHL hockey game, basically. And 100 tons of tomatoes. Thousands of people hurled overripe tomatoes at each other in eastern Spain for the annual Tomatina Festival. Trucks drove through the main street of the city of Bunol, distributing tomatoes while people threw them and drenched each other in red juice. The festival is said to have originated in 1945 and is held on the last Wednesday of August. It's become a national and international event, drawing Spaniards and visitors from abroad. Okay. The town hoses down the area, and the revelers shower off within minutes of the hour-long noon battle finishing up. The festival, held on the last Wednesday of August, was inspired by a food fight between local children in 1945 in the town, located in a tomato-producing region. Media attention in the 1980s turned it into a national and international event, drawing participants from every corner of the world. Participants using swimming goggles to protect their eyes, usually dressed in T-shirts and shorts. My tomatoes are probably too firm too firm these are some mushy like, like really not ripe. rotten tomatoes they're very Splat. ripe it i bet it would be good for your skin like i feel like if i went there which i would do this by the way if there's fifteen thousand people it's just kind of like it's a huge thing i, I would try this 
I feel like that shower after my skin would be a little red, but also glowing. I feel like you'd find tomato seeds in places you don't want to find tomato seeds. Kind of like when you find sand oh, from the beach. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't like finding either of those things, especially mm. like in between the think, toes and yeah, your was, fingernails. Yeah. That wasn't what I was. Yeah. Um, also ketchup. Hey, so. Yeah, well, you, me, and ketchup. <laughs> I could make my own ketchup, street ketchup, Oof. not FDA approved. No, don't buy the street ketchup. It's kind of like don't. tacos in Mexico. Do not buy the street fish tacos in Mexico. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 